TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. The score! Let's go now, you fired the first shot! Let's go, man! Jason Leisure. I'm here in the studio at the score. This is a very, very special honor for you. There's reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. H-I-T-S, they all stand for try hard. So for the coaches, it's now H is for, hey, don't do that. I is for, I wouldn't do that if I were you. T is for, that's a bad thing to do. And S is for, stop, you're fired. I don't know if I really look at it that way, Jay. Co-host of the Sports Adjacent Podcast. I was driving to my dad's house before recording this, I was like, man, I'm really in the mood for a beer. Just one. And then I remembered, like, all the beer at my dad's house is gross. Jason Leisure with Bernstein and Holmes on the score. Jason Leisure is brought to you by Finishing Chicago. All great finishes start with finishingchicago.com. He is with us on the Circa Sports Illinois score hotline and twitch.tv slash Chicago 670 the score. You can follow him on Twitter at Jason Leisure. So, you were in a long day yesterday. How did the answers to your questions and their prepared statements satisfy your personal and professional curiosity about the future of the Bears? Not very much in general, Dan, and that part of that is to be expected, but there were a couple things I did appreciate about it. For one, one thing I have respected and uh, enjoyed as a reporter about Ryan Poles is in two years, I feel like Ryan Poles has not been evasive. I feel like Ryan Poles, whether he thinks you're going to like the answer or not, takes all questions head on. I mean, he took Potsy's Jim Harbaugh question head on. You don't have to like his answer, but and I the CJ Stroud stuff. He doesn't hide. He doesn't dodge questions. He, he literally doesn't hide. I mean, he comes down when things happen, he comes down to the media room when there's a problem, when there's, you know, an Alan Williams situation or Chase Claypool or whatever. He he or Roquan Smith demands a trade uh, last a couple of years ago. Like he comes down and puts himself on camera and takes accountability for it. And he takes your questions. And I have a good working relationship with Ryan Poles. I have never gotten blowback from him about any question I've ever asked. Him. And I don't think. Like in private, like back channel or anything like that. And I, I don't think that anyone would say my questions to them are soft or careful or anything like that. I appreciate that. I also think there's a little bit of reading between the lines that you need to do here, especially when it comes to Justin Fields and the number one draft pick. He can't say anything that is going to either A, 
box himself in some say something he can't take back if Justin Fields is in fact his quarterback if things work out that way next year and he can't do anything that weakens his leverage with the number one pick so it's not so much about what he says it's about the tone and the way that he says things what did you think about what he said about Matt Eberflus I think there's some things there where you can kind of read between the lines and you can understand that Ryan Poles is going to take a more active role in the coaching staff. And it was very revealing to me when he said of the original assembly of the staff, Lawrence, he said, you know, hey, that's a basic. I'm going to paraphrase here completely. This is not a direct quote, but he's going to say he said something like, you know, hey, that's a really busy time. Yeah. Eberflus and I both get hired. And it's within a whirlwind couple of days and coach offensive coordinator and position coach candidates are doing interviews left and right. And you got to get who you can get while you can. None of this is what he said, but it's no, it sounds like we had to hurry and we didn't do so great. And this time will be different. This time I will be much more involved in that. I will be able to be much more involved in that. Well, I hope that he is because that seems to be a, thing i understand that but i also have this issue it's always been my experience around the nfl that that's sort of that's sacrosanct though and you you invite problems is it my guy is it your guy is this guy who has to be your trusted lieutenant is this guy a spy or and or (laughs) on what timetable is he working based on his hire to whom is he beholden for his job it when 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 you start to muddy all that stuff and change the vectors it doesn't make things easy i'd still i have a lot of confidence in those two working together on that i don't know necessarily that they're going to get it right but i do think that polls and Eberflus are pretty closely aligned. We had a caller bring up what I think is a really good point. How important do you think the exit interviews were in them sticking with Eberflus? Sticking with him? Hmm. Um, I think that they have wanted to stick with him the entire time, and they have been looking for things to reinforce that position. So I think seeing the defense play better in the second half of the season, seeing a team win in the second half of the season, even though, you know, it's just five and three. I, I we People tend to get too excited about the Bears just being okay. Not to mention four because, horrible chokes of losses. Right. And then, so then players on top of that, players voicing that they like playing for him, especially the defensive players, I would imagine. It only further reinforces a position that they wanted to maintain anyway. That's what I think of it, Lawrence. When you sat down with Matt Eberflus, what did you learn? Oh, man. I I had an interview with him last Friday morning, so two days before the season finale, which, A, I was surprised he agreed to with me. But he came off so much better in that interview than he did in all of his press conferences because the press conferences have been a problem for him. And I asked him about that. I asked him, how many times have you walked out of the press conference room, either at Hallis Hall or Soldier Field, and you've known, you said to yourself, that wasn't great. And that was kind of not the best public handling of this situation that's going on. And we've talked about the the coaching staff problems, the Claypool problem, the Justin Fields 
situations from him venting, him going public with his frustration with Luke Getze back in week three to Matt Eberflus not being able to communicate what his injury status was before a game. And Matt Eberflus came across so much better in that interview. He did the things that I would have wanted to see a head coach do during the press conferences, which is acknowledge the problem. Tell, don't tell everyone it's not as bad as it looks. Tell them, yeah, this is this is bad. You're right. All of you are right. This isn't good. But then convey that you've got control over that. That, hey, we've got a clear plan. This is being handled. Remember Claypool? You guys remember that? How many days did that last? I mean, I think four. Well, and then they had to correct when, him you, about. There was so much yeah. there. Dan, you could have just said, you could have said Monday morning after that whole problem about did we keep him home or did he keep. You could have said, look. He's never playing for the Bears again. He's yep. done. We'll trade him. We'll cut him. We're going to figure all that out. That's not a secret. Like, the whole league knows that. Don't leave it as, well, whatever happens, happens. We'll see where it goes. Come out and say, this was bad. We misjudged this player. That is a problem. We're on top of this. Don't worry about it. Chase Claypool isn't coming back. He'll be gone as soon as we can figure out a way to get him gone. And then there's no more questions. Then that story doesn't drag into Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And that was something he did so much better in this interview uh, that I had with him last week where he took accountability for things. He said things like phrases like that's on me about different issues with uh, the staff and with some of the problems you've seen in games. He says that's on me and I know that doesn't look good. And here here are ways we're going to try to fix that and do better. I mean, he was he was staying away from things like you know, about his job status or Luke Getzey's job status at that point. Those things have since been decided. But there was so much more accountability. There was so much – he he seemed so much more comfortable dealing with those things in that setting than he did at the podium. He's got to learn how to do that at the podium. And that was another thing we talked about, that that is part of the job. That's one of the things I told him is uh, – or I told him, asked him about however you want to put it. That was part of our – I like to think of it as more of a, a conversation – um, that that is a huge part of the job when you're stepping up from coordinator to head coach. There are no more games to play, but there is still assessment on my the family college. wishes there were games to play. No, they're happy to have. They're happy. No, to have it. It has, you're it, I, you're not happy being home. That's the problem. Right no, that, I am. But we're in an adjustment period because I, I'm not gone all the time. I'm not like out of town, but I work so much more when the games are going than when they aren't like right now. And imagine, imagine you're my wife and you're running the household with the kids and all these different things that are going on. And you've been, it's just kind of been a well-oiled machine for four months. And then the ice cream man returns. Yeah. And yeah. Then like the, then the guy who like, who are you? Are you like our fun uncle who wants to cut? Like there's still work that has to be done. It's still a Thursday, (laughs) but also I also, it's like somebody just comes into your life with a clipboard and a whistle and is like, you know, what's this? What's this? Why is this like this? Why is everyone being so loud? Why are we all up so early? How come someone hasn't done this yet? Like, that's not fun. So you're, so we're, you're, your house is Matt Eberflus, is what you're saying. We're, well, I don't think that'd ever be what I was saying, but if you want to put it that way. <laughs> what did you really want to ask me about the college quarterbacks? Yeah, I wanted to ask if you think they've made, the Bears have made up their mind on what they're doing, or or how important do you think the evaluation process where they can actually get interviews with the quarterbacks that are at the top of the draft, how much that might matter to them. I think it's going to matter a lot. I think I suspect, and this is speculation. This is not reporting. This is not something that I know from a source or anything like that. 
but I suspect that their plan is to draft a quarterback. Now the details of that got to be worked out because you got to find out what are you going to get for Justin Fields in a trade and which quarterback do you want? Because a point that Ryan Poles made, I think very well yesterday is these mock drafts that you see right now are not going to be the same in April. And while there is this, he didn't say this, I'm saying this, while there is consensus for Caleb Williams and people, man, have had fun picking apart this guy's game for some reason. Uh, it's like a, it's like a hobby to people. Um, he might not be the top quarterback. There are years where there's somebody who is this runaway candidate in December, and then you get to April and it looks a lot different because either there's character issues or somebody's film has been thoroughly scrutinized and it looks better than another guy's or the workouts or the interviews or whatever, things could change. But I think if you are not fully satisfied with Justin Fields, which I just don't see how they are, especially the way that he talked about it yesterday. He didn't sound the way he sounded even a year ago when he was in the same position, Ryan Poles. I think that they are planning to take a quarterback. They just have to figure out which one. And it's going to be a long process from here to the draft. It's four, three, four months. I mean, it's going to, it's going to be a while to really evaluate that. How do you expect the timing of this coordinator search to go? Like, what do we actually know of the nuts and bolts of, yeah. you know, hearing them ask permission for yeah. the Seattle's guy? Like, like what, what are the known knowns of the search? Well, here's what I know, Dan, is I think it is a limited pool of candidates. And that is one of the problems that you signed up for when you hired a defensive-minded head coach. And like, if you take, and I asked Ryan Poles this question too yesterday, do you need to be able, you don't have to tell us, you don't have to tell the, the, anybody what you're going to do at quarterback, but don't you need to be able to tell offensive coordinator candidates? I think you do. I think those are totally different jobs that somebody would be signing up for. Um, come work with Justin Fields, who's three years in and has been up and down and some things have worked, some things haven't, or come be part of a brain trust that selects the next quarterback and gets to be the first coach to really work with and develop the incoming number one pick in the draft. I think it's really different, but if you take the entire list of everybody that you would want to do this, all of the, all of the capable, good offensive minds in the league, go and cross off your top 20 or 30 because 20 or 30. Because those guys think they're going to be head coaches. I didn't think those it was guys that are... big a number. I was going to say maybe ten. Okay, let's say let's let's say fifteen to twenty. How about that? Fair Does that enough. sound more reasonable? Fair enough. I, I haven't sat and counted them all wow. out, but but all these guys are either interviewing for head coaching jobs or going to get head coaching jobs. These guys that are interviewing for head coaching jobs, I don't think are going to be candidates to come be the offensive coordinator under Matt Eberflus. Then you cross off anybody else who isn't super excited about a situation where the coach is clearly in a win or get fired scenario in 2024. And then you cross off everyone who is not excited about trying to come in and be the third coach or whatever it is with the coordinators, the third person to try to, you know, get something going in a better direction with Justin Fields. I think that really cuts down your list. If you're not at least able to communicate to people what the job is going to be. I think if you're offering instead the number one pick scenario and you're making that clear to candidates, hey, this is what we want to do, and you're going to be part of selecting that person, and that whoever you hire as offensive coordinator should be 
central to those conversations, then I think that's a lot more enticing. So why shouldn't I think that based on personal history, resume, et cetera, why shouldn't I think it's Frank Reich until proven otherwise? Frank Reich would be a logical pick for them. That that falls in the category that I've narrowed it down to for you, right. where it's not a guy that's a head coaching candidate. It's a guy that is not the most sparkling candidate for that position in the league. It's a guy who I think after he got fired this past year said he was probably going to retire. And I don't know if every head coach in the league would be able to talk him into coming and being the offensive coordinator, but he and Matt Eberflus are very close friends and worked together in Indianapolis. Uh, I think that Frank Reich is a very likely candidate. I think that Eric Bieniemy is a really intriguing candidate. I've always wondered, and I don't know the answer, I've always wondered what Ryan Poles really thinks of him because everybody seems to have this hesitation over Eric Bieniemy over the last however many years. We all sit here and say, that guy's got head coach resume. Why isn't he a head coach? And Ryan Poles worked with him for, I think, 10 or 13 years, something like that. They were together for a very long time in Kansas City. Ryan Poles, in theory, would know everything there is to know about Eric Bieniemy. What did you think of Kevin Warren yesterday? There's a lot of stories. A lot. A lot of emotion. Not a lot of action. There's a um, lot of the Dick Vermeil mentions and a lot. I like his analogies. Did you like his analogies, Dan, where it's like, you know, go go talk to a ship captain. Uh, you know, go go talk to a, a brain surgeon. Surgeon, go talk to a go talk to a shoe cobbler. He'll tell you. Go go, go talk to a, a subway sandwich artist. They'll tell you it starts with the bread. These are the people in the neighborhood. Go talk to an astronaut. <laughs> he he's on the international a, space station right now, and they'll tell you. Go a, talk to your local fishmonger. Right, right. right. Yes. <laughs> he's a super commanding speaker, though he's so charismatic. He conveys like all the things you want to see. Of you know, he is. Like he conveys like prestige and respect and authority and ambition. And it's just, it's just a little bit hard for me to reconcile that with doing almost nothing so far yeah, as far yeah. as changes. He, he just, he really, really triggered me. It, it was a delayed trigger, but he triggered me by talking about wanting to win with grace and humility and, that's not something Dan I Dan hates that idea. I hate it. I hate it for my <laughs> NFL team. I hate it. I hate it. I was it was too my, my formative years were built around loving the maybe one of the most arrogant professional sports teams that has ever lived. And I'll take that. What, what team was that? That would be the one that recorded a, a rap song about them winning the Super Bowl on December third. Oh, okay. And then decided that they were going to have like a, a, a 330 yeah. pound running back mascot just to make other teams feel bad. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. My parents tell me stories about that. You got to be 50 plus to have any memory of that. I'm that not, means I'm just nothing. Saying, like, I know, but that's like, I don't want to win with humility. I, I want to win that way. I want to win with them barking at people and, and, and making and, and destroying their enemies and having their flag mean death. I hear you, but nobody under fifty has, including me, has any recollection of what that was. That's Greek I, I am mythology. Under, I am under fifty, and I remember that. It how do you? How old were you? How do you remember? I that? was ten when they won the Super Bowl. Well, are you one of those people that's like I remember being born? 
I mean, it was a, he was ten. It was a, a pretty important week. I remember I seeing it, Johnny Unitas when I was three. I guess if you were t- no, you don't. Yes, I do because my dad no, told me you, to. No, I do. I, I I do remember, and my dad told nobody, me to remember. Nobody remembers being three. I remember seeing Johnny Unitas in a Chargers uniform in our next door neighbor's front room. And my dad pointed the TV and said, remember you saw Unitas play. And I did. And I also remember when my mother, when Nixon got up on the helicopter and turned around and gave the double peace sign and we're standing in our kitchen on that little tiny black and white TV with the crumpled up aluminum foil on the antenna. And my mom said, never forget seeing that. And I didn't. So there. I mean, I can't prove you wrong, so. I have, I think I have a faint memory of the Bulls winning the first championship of the final game against LA, and I would have been seven at that time. Yeah. So how That's old a, do you think? How old do you think you would have had to have been for the '85 Bears to have some memory of it? According say, to Dan, it's three. I would say think, I would Lawrence? say six or seven. Okay, so you had to have been born then. For that, you'd had to have been born 1980 in 70. or 1981, or 1979 or 1980. Yeah, yeah. it's all right. Okay, so how old does that make you? 1980 would make you, you'd have to be 40, 45. Yeah. You'd have to be 45 and up to know. There's a lot of people that aren't 45 and up. No, I have and, no and, idea and what that is. And it's the 85 Bears are just a story that you hear. That from it, they're a myth, kind of like the 63 team was for a long time. So yeah, you got to do something else. You know, look, you got to look, you got to produce even another the 63 hit. 63 team years. was known for all their drunken brawling. This is this is the new frontier with Dan Grabowski over here. That's exactly That's, right. This is who he's been. I'll tell you what no one's talking days. about out there. It's the general manager, not just your manager. Yeah, and McCaskies. the, the McCaskies or the McClaskies. Manhole covers. Either way, it's good. Um, you guys, Jason. Do you guys take calls like that? Do you guys get calls? Not today. No, no, Dan was that no, today is what I'm saying. I, I'm fulfilling that role. It's the the, the callers, callers were been, actually sensible today. Yeah, all the all the callers have sounded okay. like law professors lately. Oh, so you had to throw in the uh, okay. I got yeah. you. Yeah. All right. So all right. Have, have, uh, I don't know how much downtime you're going to get, but welcome back. Uh, sort of reacclimating to family life. Yeah. Well, I I got a little free time uh, over by there. I'm going to head down to the jewels a little later, Dan. Pick up some dinner. That's a good idea. Get one of those jewel brand sausage pizzas, the thin crust. Have fun. Thanks, Jason. See you guys. Deep dish. (laughs) That's Jason Leisure. Next up, we'll talk about the Bulls' big night tomorrow night, their inaugural class for their ring of honor, and their former assistant coach, Jim Clemens, is going to be a part of it. He'll talk to us next on The Score. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 
You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score. Marv Albert on the call on NBC. That was the first victory of the second Bulls three-peat and one of the prominent assistant coaches on that team that is being honored tomorrow night in the inaugural Bulls Ring of Honor enshrinement is joining us now on the guest hotline on the score presented by Circus Sports Illinois. He is Jim Clemens. Hello, Jim. How you been? Uh, I've been fine. Trying to be better, but uh, fine is is par for these days. Okay. Well, I mean that's right. It's all we can do is try to get to fine. The closer that we get to it, the better. So, Jim, what's it like to be associated with something like this, and it be celebrated the way that it's going to be celebrated this weekend? Well, I don't quite believe I uh, I have the magnitude of how big an event and happening it is at this point in time. Uh, I just left the lobby area and getting invited to eat. and I'm seeing all these people come up that uh, I wasn't really quite aware of uh, how big an event and happening that uh, I'm about ready to experience. So I'm, I'm very honored, uh, very happy. Uh, a lot of people I haven't seen in uh, eight, nine, ten years. That's, that's, that's how splintered uh, when the season is over and you, you go your separate ways, you just lose track of people. So um, I'm, I'm beaming from ear to ear. Some some of the people that I'm seeing, uh, they, they look well, healthy, prosperous. So uh, I'm, I'm like a kid in a candy store right now. Who were the people that you were most looking forward to seeing and who were some of those people that made you smile? Well, I just ran into Ron Harper. And uh, Ron, uh, I've, been, I've been knowing of Ron since he was in high school in Dayton, Ohio. And I just uh, had a quick hello, how you doing with him. I, I, he told me he came in last night. I, I, we just, my wife and I, we just came in this afternoon. So he's got a head start. I know. Uh, so I saw him and uh, Jason Caffey. Uh, he, Who's a young rookie uh, on one on one of our teams? Uh, he looks like a million dollars, uh, healthy, buffed, and, <laughs> and full of energy. So uh, I'm uh, Iris Gilmore, uh, who uh, I played against, and never with. Uh, in fact, the first time I played against Artis, uh, it was in an all-star college all-star game over in Dayton, Ohio. And it went to overtime on the day that one of my best friends was getting married over in Columbus, Ohio. So I have a lot of memories that are flying through my mind about first times, long times, and I'm getting uh, gray in the hair, what hair I have left, and uh, can't recall some names, no first, some first names, don't know last names. So, oh, yeah, when? <laughs> I feel like an old man. 
Uh, Jim, tell me about it because this 95-96 season was my first year as a reporter on the Bulls beat covering for this very radio station. You know, I had I had just gotten a, a new girlfriend who accompanied me on that playoff trip to New York and we all stayed in the Plaza Hotel and I remember the circus that was surrounding that team. You know, that, that same girlfriend who now has been my wife for almost 25 years. And I just look at this, and I it doesn't – I don't feel this old. You know, I don't feel this old. And, and I look back, and there's – you know, remembering, there's the, – the, the guys I talk to, you know, you, you talk to Michael a couple times a week, but you can talk to Buddha Edwards all the time. John Sally was always there when he was around to talk to. And just what I learned about basketball – from all the assistant coaches and the the availability and the opportunity, it was different than it is now. And the kind of relationship you could forge are very different now. And it's really the names on that roster. We, we know who the big names are, but I like looking at the guys around the edges too. The guys around the edges, believe it or not, had a major impact on the guys who were, quote-unquote, the the stars of the team because they uh, they showed up every day and they uh, practices were intense. Guys knew what they were supposed to do and because of that, uh, that esprit de corps, let's say, guy you know guys didn't take anything for granted and that 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 made everyone healthier and better at the jobs that we had to do. When I look back at that time, looking from your perspective, I feel like I'm. I also saw a competitive coaching staff. How did you guys interact with each other to try to make everyone better? Well, my, my job was pretty easy in the sense that I was the youngest member. I used to call law firm, and I certainly was the youngest member of the law firm. And uh, with Johnny Bach and Tex and uh, Phil... Uh, we all had different opinions, but at the same point in time, we functioned, I, I thought, very well in, the, in what we wanted to do. Texas ideas were, I'm not going to say simplistic, but the fact is basketball is a simple game. And even though when you got to our competition, especially when I first got name to the staff, people would tell me how complicated the triple post offense was to learn, and it was too, it was too much this, all this, that, and the other, which I found out later was just a bunch of bull. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, we we wanted to show our, our, our team that we as a coaching staff function like we wanted them to function on the floor. And we, we all had roles uh, and opportunities to speak, uh, putting the practice plan together. Uh, Tex had his ideas. Uh, Phil had his. And Johnny, certainly from the defensive point of view, Johnny was, would speak up. And so we would have ideas even on the daily practice sessions of what it is we thought we needed to accomplish to bring – uh, for the the next five, we 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 basically worked in in five games uh, stretches. So uh, the coaches tried to be as we wanted the players to be, a good team. And with and, and that being said, 
and trying to set that example. We worked together and had different ideas, but we always came together uh, in front of the players uh, with a united front, a, a common front, and thoughts, ideas. And when it was right, we fell in and uh, got done what we needed to have done, and it worked like a charm. And uh, like I say, me being the youngest member, uh, I, I certainly enjoyed the relationships and the sparring that, that Johnny and Tex would have from time to time over offense and defense and how we should proceed and what was most important, where we spent our time. So uh, it is, it's not like we didn't have disagreements, but, uh, but, but you had the opportunity to express yourself. And when we hit the floor, Come game time, the game plan was succinct. Guys knew what their assignments were, and uh, they they gave us what we needed. You know, they they played hard for each other and with each other. Before we let you go, I, I think we'd be remiss in not talking. about Obviously, the story of the team was the record-setting 72 wins and the NBA championship. The secondary story was the fact that in the previous offseason, Will Purdue had been traded for Dennis Rodman. And this was the beginning of the, the Rodman experience, which was a huge, huge gamble by Jerry Krause. So I'm curious, when you knew as a coach, like, oh, man, we got we got Rodman? So not only is there the whole ingratiating him in, into the whatever your team culture is, and knowing you had Mike there, but the, the X's and O's aspect of it where he was a whiz, he was tremendous at that. But what was it like understanding that you were dealing with just a different kind of cat coming into this team? Well, not not having a, any real background knowledge of, of Dennis and just viewing him from a, from a former player to a current player, giving the opportunity. Once again, you, you don't want to judge people by what other people say, you know, I, and I think that's what Phil asked us to do as a coaching staff and also as, as a basketball team. Don't be quick to judge. Uh, give him an opportunity to express himself and he'll find out who he is. And We'll take it day by day and practice by practice. And that being said, uh, Dennis was, uh, was a very good basketball player and good instincts. And you, if you get over the body piercing and tattoos, De- Dennis was cool. I mean, he, he when he stepped on the court, he played hard and did what you asked him to do. And if he had questions uh, after practice, uh, especially during shoot-around time, uh, you didn't leave the floor until he was certain he knew uh, the rotations and, and the individual uh, game plan, which made – everyone else conscious of the fact that here's a guy that wasn't satisfied until he knew that everyone else knew what, uh, what was going to happen on any given play, our rotations, who, who was doing what. And his, his um, eye on detail, because I think, I think quite honestly, he felt if it didn't work, he was going to get blamed. <laughs> so he wanted to make sure before we left that practice court, that everyone knew what their what their responsibilities was, and and to me, I think that was very keen on from his sense of uh, what he needed to do, and it, it brought out 
amongst the coaching staff and his teammates that, hey, this is serious business. And he's going to make sure that we all know before we leave the practice floor after the pregame uh, that we we know our assignments. So that that was just dotting eyes and crossing T's. And anybody in any profession would know that's what you need to do. Jim, congratulations on this honor, and uh, I hope you're just soaking it all up and having the best time with all of these uh, reunions and this opportunity. Enjoy tomorrow night. Well, thank you very much. I got a smile on my face from ear to ear. I do, too. Thanks, Jim. That's Jim Clements. This is great. Tomorrow night, you'll be able to hear some of the, There's a special halftime that's going to be done here on these score airwaves. There's a red carpet. Alyssa Bergamini is going to be like on the red carpet. By the way, I got a, a note back from Tim Sinclair. Oh, what'd he say? And he's like, yeah, I'm kind of excited about the idea. I of, would imagine. Of being able to say from North Carolina, Michael Jordan. Boss. If you missed any of our earlier conversations on this show, and they were both terrific with Jarrett Payton and Matt Bowen, you know what you can use? It's called the Rewind feature to go back and listen. You download the Odyssey app, you search 670, the score you tap earlier today, and that gets you started. When we come back, we've got tickets to give away for Billy Joel and Stevie Nicks, Friday, June 21st at Soldier Field. And so long, suckers. I'll see you on Tuesday. Lawrence is leaving, so he's headed to the desert. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.